Father, it's uh, with um, humility of heart that I even open up your book and begin to teach. So for those who listen and for myself who speaks, we ask, Father, that your spirit would be active here. That you would illuminate our minds and our hearts in ways that we have not known you before. We truly desire as a people, whether close to you or far from you, to know more of you. Because you are a mystery. And yet you've revealed yourself in ways through Scripture that help us to understand more of your nature and your character. So we come in here, Father, this week with uh, pretty hurried lifestyles. We've run from place to place, appointments, schoolwork, responsibilities at the job, just keeping up our homes, and we're ready for some refreshment. And God, I ask that not only would New Hope be a place of refreshment, but a place of inspiration, that we can know you better, that you would give us the energy and the motivation and the desire and the boldness to move on in a way that represents you well. So, Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we open up your word. But we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As God continues to grow this church, we want to make sure that we lay a very firm foundation. And so, therefore, that's the reason I've called this series Foundations. Uh, this particular series may take us, indeed, up to a year. I frankly don't know. I don't mean a year in the book of Genesis, but I do mean, indeed, that we're deliberately starting in Genesis chapter 12 and moving through the Old Testament in such a way that we're going to together study things that many churches, unfortunately, have walked away from in studying the Old Testament and how it led in to the arrival of Christ, setting up the kingdom for Christ. So I want us to have a good understanding of what a foundation is. If you were to go out to my house, you would see a little playhouse that I built for my daughters when they were 10 and 6 on Memorial Day weekend um, a, a decade ago, 10 years ago. And I didn't really anticipate um, that building being used long term, so I didn't put a foundation under it when I built it. And if you were to go out there today, you would see the little timbers that I put underneath it are starting to heave and the building is beginning to list to one side simply because I never laid a foundation for it intentionally. In Greek, the word foundation is themelios, and it's something that's put down, a foundation that's a structure underneath. It can have application to building principles. It can have application to expansion of businesses. Or here, application to spiritual matters, laying down a firm foundation. So before we launch into foundations, I want to do a brief review of how we got to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 1, God forms the whole earth. Genesis chapter 3, man rebels against God and God casts him out of the garden. Then Genesis chapter 4, Cain murdered his brother Abel and then lied about it. Then Genesis chapter 6 through 8, humanity became so corrupt, so vile and evil that God had to cleanse the entire earth and start all over again through one man. And so through Noah, there's a regeneration, 
earth once again was blessed and God was going to start out fresh. But then in defiance of God, even though Noah and his sons knew God intimately, their offspring rebelled. And they went to an area that God said, don't go to. God said, bless the earth and repopulate it. Re-bless the earth through humanity. Man said no, and they all gathered into one city. And they built this great tower that you may have heard of called the Tower of Babel. They formed one unit. And then God had to disperse them again. He sent confusion. And that's in Genesis chapter 10. Disobedience. Murder, rebellion, deception that sound up to date, that sound familiar. It's mankind's ways. Now, in order to move ahead in foundations, I want to take you through a little bit of a timeline. So we're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 5 when it talks about the age of Adam. Read this on the screen. When Adam, this is Genesis chapter 5 and verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years... He had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. And you think you're worried about having enough money for retirement. Man, now there's eight generations from Adam to Noah. All right. Now, in Genesis chapter 9, there's Noah spoken of. Genesis 9.28, Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. And then finally, it speaks about Noah's son Shem, Genesis chapter 11. These are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and became the father of Arapashad. Two years after the flood... And Shem lived 500 years after he became the father of Arapashad, and he had other sons and daughters. I had, uh, about five years ago or so, wondered what Adam actually experienced by living so long, and then Noah. I actually wondered if indeed Adam saw Noah in his life, if he was around at the time of Noah. So I laid out a little bit of a timeline, and while I was doing some research for it, I actually found a website online that has the history of the world laid out. And sure enough, through the research I had done and verified through this timeline, Adam was alive at the time of Noah when he was beginning his work on the ark. He lived 150 years into the life of Noah. So he began to see this world collapse and crumble around him because of the sin that he brought into the world. And I was curious enough to go further, and I thought, I wonder what Noah actually saw then, if he was the one who survived and his sons. And living as long as he did, do you know that Noah was actually alive at the time Abraham was born? A very long span of time. Now certainly, Noah's son who was born, Shem then, who lived a very long time as well, saw all this evil unfold. Now, a unique thing about Shem is that Shem, his son, the son of Noah, when God said, I want you to go out and repopulate the earth, he actually did that. He actually left the area that he was at, and he moved to an area that we call the Ur of the Chaldees, the Chaldean area, what you call today modern Iraq, southern Iraq, 
Mesopotamia is what the New Testament calls it. Now, if you go to uh, some of the history research that's done, you'll find that in the area of the Ur of Chaldees, let's bring that temple up, Tyler. This is a temple from southern Iraq that was built extraordinarily long time ago at the time that Abraham was alive. This was the type of temple that people went to to worship their gods. And within this temple, they hid artifacts, the people who had founded their nations. Now, within this particular temple, they discovered the death mask of one particular king. His name was Sardan. Sardan I. He was the handsome dude, isn't he? I don't know why that one eye is busted out, but I assume from decay. It's all made of bronze. Sardan was the king of the Ur of the Chaldees. Now, within the Ur of the Chaldees, there was this legend that had been told of a time when the earth had been completely flooded. As a matter of fact, there was a man by the name of Gilgamesh who wrote an epic journey. This little clay tablet right there is an example of clay tablets that were found around the area of this temple that I just showed you. The Epic of Gilgamesh tells about the journey of a man who writes down the history of a flood of the entire earth. Now, modern-day individuals who do not follow God's word would say, well, it's just legend, it's just myth. It predates the Bible. Well, in fact, Noah's son, Shem, who founded the Ur of the Chaldees, passed on from generation to generation the story of what God had done. And that's how some of these, what they call myths and legends, have occurred. Now, if you wonder about how we have the Bible that we have today, the veracity of Scripture, you only have to see that from Adam to Noah, information was passed, and from Noah to Shem, and Shem was alive at the time of Abraham. So the things that are told in here are first-person accounts. These are not stories that are told around the campfire that have been diluted over time, but rather actual factual evidence. So from Noah to Abraham, we have this huge span of time, 2,000 years, a very large gulf of time. Romans 1.18, we've read that before in here, says that man originally knew God and had relationship with him. But then because of the evilness of their heart, in Romans 1.18 it says man just walked away from God. He disobeyed him and said, I don't want anything to do with you. I'd rather worship my little idols. Indecency, immoral, corrupt rebellion crept back in. So, for the second time, God's got this corrupt planet. If you were God, what would you do? Destroy them! But he said, I'll never destroy the earth again through a flood. So now he's got this regenerated people all over the earth, and yet they're just as corrupt as the people who lived before Noah. So God decides once more to provide a way out, but this time he chooses one man, just like he chose Noah, he chooses Abraham. And because of the faith of Abraham and his obedience, Abraham produced what we have today, the Bible, the Jewish nation, and the birth of Jesus because of his obedience to God. Matter of fact, in Hebrews 11.8, it says this, 
By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with Thamelios, with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham, like Noah, marks an entirely new beginning, but also a return to God's original plan of blessing the whole earth. After the people failed and turned away from God, he turned to one man. Just as he did with Noah, he turned to Abraham. Look at 1 Corinthians 1 up on the screen. I have to ask you this question as that comes up. Why did God choose Abraham? Read this passage with me. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Interesting thing about Abraham He brought nothing to the table. If you know anything about his life at all, he was old at the time God called him. He had no children. He was an idol worshiper. He was not an Israelite. He was not a Jew. He was a Sumerian from the Ur of Chaldees. He brought nothing to the table. He wasn't competent for this job that God called him to. It reminds me of me. It may remind you of you. God, I'm not worthy of this. But God says, I'm going to use you anyways to glorify myself. Interesting thing that God calls us to these great adventures unqualified. How we respond is up to us when he calls us. He doesn't call us because we're well qualified, but because he wants to work through us. It's an interesting principle. College and high school students in this room, I want you to remember this. Listen very closely. God is calling you to some really, really great adventures. And your life is way bigger than your life. And I will explain that to you in a little bit further as we get into this message. But much of what God wants to do through you is far bigger than the world that you see around you right now. Abraham began to understand as he walked with God that his life was way bigger than his life. It began to be revealed to him how God was going to use him. God intends to do things through you if you will only respond to his call. You're about to step onto the stage of the greatest history in the time the world has existed. If you are like 25 and under, you have a phenomenal opportunity before you to follow God's lead and call. Never before has the world stage been set up like it is now in order for the kingdom of God to be ushered in and you get to be part of it. 
You get to be present and watch what God is doing in this world when he's calling people to himself. What you have to ask yourself is, do I want to be a bystander and watch it happen? Do I actually want to engage and be part of it? Now, as we move through this study, I want you to watch for what I would call God traits, the character and nature of God as it appears through this study. When we understand that God has placed within his church the capacity to be ignited for his kingdom, to advance his kingdom, and it can only happen through obedience, like Abram, it can only happen through obedience to God, then we begin to understand the only way I can obey God is if I know his nature and his character. So the whole reason we're going to do what we're going to do over the next months in studying the Old Testament is to understand the authority and the nature and the character of God so that we can respond to him in order to be effective as a church, in order to be effective as individuals, to be able to respond. Now, let's jump in to the text, Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible with you, there's Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. And uh, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 is where we're going to start out at. I'm going to read the first nine verses. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan, meaning the Canaanites lived there. This is, this is modern-day Israel when you see the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was in the land, was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and built an altar to the Lord. And I'm sorry, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Abraham, if you don't know this, was secure financially. He was from a very well-funded family. He did not have to do this. This was a God calling upon his life. He could have said, ah, I kind of like to build up my retirement account a little bit first, God. Um, you know, maybe next year. But the way this is written, actually in the original text, it means he responded immediately. God said, I want you to do this. And he got up and he responded. When God calls you to something that you think is way bigger than you, that is the moment that you respond. It's not, I've got to work these things out first. When God calls you, you respond. Not waiting for your timing, 
because you've been waiting for his timing. Joshua 2.42, it says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Naor, and they served other gods. They were idol worshipers. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. God called him from one country to another, unqualified to qualified, because he obeyed and responded at the moment God called him. Abraham, like you before you knew Jesus, did not know the one true God. He did not have a relationship with God. And he had done nothing to deserve knowing him. He didn't bring anything. But God, just as he called you, still graciously called him. And he said, this is what I want you to do. Now, Mesopotamia, as you will read in the New Testament from the Greek, is an area that lies between the Tigris River and the Euphrates River. This is the area where we believe that the Garden of Eden originally existed. Where he was in living in the Ur of Chaldees was what we call today the Fertile Crescent, the birth of humanity, the place of the beginning of man. He was in an industrious city. Now, Muslims today, Islam, also believe that Abraham was the patriarch of their faith because of a son that he had by the name of Ishmael. We'll get into that in future chapters. But Abraham was certainly one who responded well to God, and God did bless him, and God called him out. He was born under the name Abram. Later, God called him Abraham. Now, let's look at the map of his journey. He started out, if you can see that from where you're at, way down by the Persian Gulf in the bottom of the Tigris and the Euphrates River, and he went all the way up to the top to a city called Haran. Now look with me at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, or Ebram, as the Hebrews would say, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. You'll find that this is one of seven direct communications from God to Abraham. Seven times God spoke directly to him, and he responded immediately, but not fully. Abraham responded immediately, but not fully. If you look at that verse closely, it says, go forth from your country, he did do that, from your relatives, didn't do that. From your father's house, didn't do that either. To the land which I will show you. He got one of the three right. He took his dad, Terah, with him all the way up to Haran. And what did that do? Because he partially followed God. Do you know that when he moved from the Ur of the Chaldees up to Haran, he actually ended up staying there 15 years? 15 years that he delayed God's working in his life because he didn't obey him fully. 15 years in which he missed out on the blessings of God. Now, God during this time seems to have continued to expand his household because we read in verse 2 that uh, he goes ahead and gets the blessing from God and God calls him out. 
but he didn't obey fully. Uh, He didn't know the way to where he was going, but God said, I'm going to show you. I'll show you the way. There are eight covenants in Scripture. This one is an unconditional covenant. No matter what Abram did, God was going to bless him. Look at verse 2 with me. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall, and so you shall be a blessing. Verse 3. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families, all the clans, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now why is that important to emphasize clans and nations? If you back up in time to Babel, to the city of Babel or Babylon, where they built this tower and they disobeyed God, God dispersed them into new clans, to new nations, to new people groups. He spread them around the earth. But He didn't want to ignore them. He disciplined them, but He still wanted to bless them. And so when you see this, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. He's speaking in the same language to use in Babel, in which he was still going to bless the clans of the earth. He was going to spread out his blessing, but he was going to do it through one man. He said he was going to make his name great. Did God make Abram's name great? Perhaps no one more than Jesus and Moses have been written about than Abram. More books written about this one individual. God made his name great. And he said, I will bless the nations of the earth through you. Well, to do that, he had to have offspring. And God gave him offspring, as you'll discover later. And he traveled 300 miles north to this village called Haran. Stayed there for 15 years. He left at the age of 75. And he didn't know where he was going next. Now remember, he's a city boy. He was raised in the Ur of the Chaldees, a flourishing town. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. He trusted God implicitly. Not fully. He wasn't a mature believer. But he trusted God and obeyed. Verse 4, So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, what you're picking up here is that his dad has died. He went there at age 60. He left at age 75, been there 15 years. Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their land and possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, which numbered up to be about 318 individuals. And they set forth for the land of Canaan, Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Now when he leaves Haran and goes to the place that God really called him to, he had to travel 400 miles. 400 miles with tents, camels, babies, 318 people over deserts, over mountains, you get an idea of the size of this guy's faith that he really believed God was calling him? Verse 6, Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh, and the Canaanite was in the land. And these were barbarians. These were a violent people. 
So Abram, he left a beautiful city and he came into a violent country, a place where people butchered other people. And he's bringing his entire family with him. But Abraham had a picture that's bigger than most of us. Abraham realized that God was not just dealing with him personally. Abraham realized that his life was bigger than his life. That his vision for what God would do through him was about this big, but God said, it's going to be like this. I'm going to bless through you. Your life is bigger than your life. Just respond to me. You understand that God called him into Israel, what we call Israel today, before Rome existed, before the highways of the earth were spread out, before the Pax Romana, in which Rome built highways all over the place to the known world. Abraham was just called into this violent, cannibalistic country. But God said, through you, I'm going to bless you. And all of the earth is going to hear about the chosen one of your seed through whom I'm going to bless the whole world. If God had placed Abram in Tibet, he would have become obsolete. God placed him in a place where he was at the very center of the known world eventually, but not right away. This is before the superhighway is built in your backyard. Verse 8. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abraham journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. You mark it down. Each time we look at this text, you're going to see this. Wherever Abram went, he took his altar and he took his tent. You could mark every place that Abram had been in the promised land by his altar. God said, I'm going to do this through you. Abraham got down on his knees, built an altar, and worshipped God. What are you marked by? What are you marked by that the pagan world around you can look at you and say, I know that guy. He's a follower of that God. That's what Abram's doing when he's building these altars. Because Scripture says later on that the Canaanites were watching him as he built these altars. And they wanted to know more about this God that he worshipped who was blessing him and increasing his household. How do the people in your lives know that you worship that God? You have some altar in your life that marks you to the world that says... I belong to this one. Now, get this straight. Abraham was not a perfect man. He made a lot of mistakes, as you're going to discover as we go through these texts. He he made a lot of errors. They were not perfect, but they were willing. They were willing to respond. And when they sinned, they suffered for it. They paid the penalty. But God was always ready to forgive them and bring them back. There's an author by the name of George Morrison He said, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. We are not saved by making promises to God, are we? We don't make promises to God and keep them, unfortunately. We are saved by believing that the promises that God made to us are real. 
authenticated. We believe that God said, what you said is real. We are saved through believing God's promises. How you respond to God's direction in your life, hear me on this. How you respond to God's leading and direction in your life will determine how significant of a work He will do through you. Most of us trust Him for this much. And we look at the greats like Abram and say, I bow to that guy because, man, he's got faith. What you might notice as you read this text, he started out really, really small. And he made errors along the way. But God said, I'm going to do much bigger things through you. I'm going to bless the whole world through your life. That's a character trait that you should write down of God. He wants to bless the whole world. Most people think of God as the judge. Man, God just won't give me a break. God says, I want to bless the earth. I want to bless the earth through my people. Unfortunately, we as His people don't allow Him to do that many times. It's a character trait of God. You should write it down. God wants to bless His people. It's one of His nature character traits. I think there's great possibility as we go through this study to believe that we're gaining a great deal of head knowledge about the nature and character of God. And in order to have that reeled back in so we don't just think that God just wants us to increase in knowledge and understanding but never application. He really took me to Ephesians 3.14 this week. So this is an appropriate place to close out. I want to read this verse to you. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family, again, clans and nations, in heaven and earth is named that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that you being rooted and themelios, foundation, grounded, you being themelios in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, the head knowledge that we're gaining, and that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And God's people said, we don't need to think that God wants to do this through us when God wants to do this. Exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you can imagine. How big is your vision? I send you out this week with that question. Next week, moving on after Abram goes into Egypt, after verse 9. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would take this and make it application to our heart.
Some of us are in the midst of a time when we've got to make some really hard life decisions. And we're not sure if it's you calling or if it's our own personal desires calling. So Father, I ask that you would expand our vision and our ability to understand and hear your voice in the midst of a very busy world so that we can listen quickly and respond quickly when you speak. Father, I ask that you would just kind of shut out the stuff. Things that keep us from hearing you. We're going to go out these doors right now and eat bagels and drink juice and life will get back to what we call normal pretty quickly. Help us, Father, not to forget the things that we've learned in this last half, last half hour from You in examining Your Word that You intend to do great things if we will only respond. God, I ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Week.